A very good morning. Please be seated. Today we're going to be starting our Lent series, uh, which this year we'll be looking at what are called the five solas, which are five biblical key doctrines which were re-emphasized particularly about 500 years ago in the Reformation. Uh, there are various Bible uh, references typed out in the very center of your bulletin. That might be helpful. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we pray that even now you would have mercy upon us and open our hearts to understand the truths of your word. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be now and ever acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, today's doctrine is that we are saved by grace alone. And it is both straightforward and very, very important. When we say that we are saved by grace alone, what we mean is that God saves us. We don't save ourselves. As First John puts it, the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Salvation is God's work by his Son. And this word grace in grace alone underlines that. To say that we are saved by grace is to say that God saves us even though we don't deserve it. Even though we've done nothing to earn it, he saves us, and that's grace. If Christ Jesus had come into the world to save good, righteous people, that wouldn't be grace. They would deserve it. But as it is, the scriptures tell us that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners who don't deserve it. Therefore, we confess that we are saved by the grace of God alone and nothing we have done. It's a nice, simple, clear doctrine. But it is also one which at times has become distorted or even denied. And let me tell you a little bit about that. Famously, in the fourth century, there was a monk, and his name was Pelagius. He started teaching that salvation was not God's work, but our work. He taught, basically, that God tells us what we have to do, and then it is down to us to do it and save ourselves. But if you think about it, there are big problems with that. First of all, that would make us the Savior, not Jesus you don't even need Jesus anymore. And secondly, the Bible insists that we just cannot save ourselves. We are, as our introductory sentence from Ephesians said, dead in our trespasses and sins. Or, or as Moses says, every thought of our hearts is only evil continually. We cannot even turn to God on our own, let alone do enough good works to be saved. Pelagius, for good reason, was condemned as a heretic. But by the 6th century, a very similar teaching arose. This teaching now said that salvation is a kind of a team project, joint work between us and God. Theologians call this semi-Pelagian, a little bit like Pelagius, not quite. It says that, yes, you do need God to send his son to save you, but if you do not do your own part as well, the salvation is not effective. It doesn't work. And this teaching actually is even more dangerous than what Pelagius taught. 
I'll give you a few reasons. First of all, it would mean that Jesus and us become co-saviors of the world. And secondly, that would mean that we would start having faith not in Christ alone, but in Christ plus ourselves, and, and that would destroy the Christian faith. Third, it would mean that we are saying that God is not powerful enough to save his people, that God can decide that he will save a people for himself, that God can send his son to die for them, that he can call them, but that he cannot save them unless they also help him out. God is not powerful to save, only just to do some part of salvation, and that's clearly not the God of the Bible, is it? But fourth, and this is the most terrible implication of this kind of teamwork salvation teaching. If it is right, then it would absolutely destroy all confidence, all joy, all thanksgiving, all assurance from our Christian lives. For do you see, if my salvation depends on what God does plus what I do, I can't be sure of my salvation. I can trust God, but I can't trust myself. I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow. I don't even know whether what I have done today is good enough for salvation. If my even if my salvation depends almost entirely upon God and just a little bit upon me, suddenly I lose all my sureness entirely. No more for me are the joys of salvation. No more the sure promises of God's word. No more the hope of eternal glory and joy everlasting, no more the comfort of knowing that those who die in the faith of Christ rest in his perfect peace and will rise in glory. All that remains, if salvation is teamwork, is a life of sad, fearful, terrified worry about what God might say to me on the day of judgment. If salvation depends in part on me. That is why, at the Reformation, the reformers emphasized salvation by grace alone so strongly. But it is not just them that stress this. The Bible itself emphasizes grace alone as well. You can see the starts of it right back in Genesis. If you think about man after the fall, condemned now to death because of sin, nevertheless, though he is dead, being given a promise, a promise that one day God will send an offspring who will bruise the head of the serpent, who will set man free from sin and death. God promises that God will save his people, even though they deserve death. That's grace. And as you continue to follow God's salvation plan through the Old Testament, we see again and again he shows exactly the same thing. He, he shows in Deuteronomy 7, our Old Testament reading, that it is by grace. I'll quote a little bit to you. He said, It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. You were the fewest of all peoples. It is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath he swore to your fathers. Even there, why are they being saved? It is not because of them, but because of the Lord alone who set his love upon them, who chose them, who swore, and who now does all he has promised. It is God. Even later, after those same people had been exiled because of their sins, 
God promises to save them and bring them back into the land again, not because of anything they have done. In fact, despite what they have done, and this is a quotation from Ezekiel 36, where God says, it is not for your sake that I will act. Let that be known to you. In fact, their actions have been so bad that he says to them, be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O Israel. Salvation is by grace alone. In the Gospels, we see Jesus teach the very same thing. He says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to give his life as a ransom for many. What is he saying? He's saying, he comes, he gives his life, we are ransomed. We are saved by his grace. He says the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. What is he saying? He comes, he forgives, we are forgiven. He says, I come not to call the just, but sinners. It's the very definition of grace. But perhaps most vividly, in John chapter 10, he speaks of himself as the good shepherd. And he says... My sheep hear my voice, and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Think about what he said. Is salvation here God's work or our work? It's clearly God's work, isn't it? The Father has given us to the Son. The Son knows his people. He calls them with his powerful word and they do come and he gives to them eternal life. It is the work of God, the gift of God from start to end. Salvation is by grace alone and in fact because salvation is by grace alone, because nothing depends on their works, Jesus can absolutely guarantee that they will not perish and no one will take them out of his hands. Dear brothers and sisters, make no mistake, the same is true for you. If you have heard Christ's words and come to him, know that it is because the Father has put you into his hands, that he gives you eternal life, that you will never perish, and no one will snatch you out of his hands. You are saved by grace alone. And then we come to the epistles. We see exactly the same thing. Perhaps even clearer. In Ephesians 1.7, right at the beginning of the letter to the Ephesians, we see Christ being extolled because he saves us by his grace. Ephesians 1.7, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And then in chapter 2, this teaching becomes the focus of the letter, but God, and, and this is in your bulletin, it says, but God, Ephesians 2 verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, he says, by grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show to us the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in him. It's the very definition 
of being saved by grace. We were dead in sin, but God himself alone has given us life despite those sins. The famous 19th century preacher Charles Spurgeon put it like this. He said, the only thing that we contribute to our own salvation is the sin from which we need saving. For as Ephesians continues, by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. There is no way that you can read these scriptures and conclude that salvation depends in any way on us, can you? Not only was Pelagius wrong, but the semi-Pelagian teamwork idea was wrong as well. It is the gift of God that no one may boast, not a result of works. Romans says the same thing. First, it confesses that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and then it adds, but we are justified by God's grace as a gift through the redemption in Christ Jesus. And in Acts, we see St. Peter say, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved. So we've, gl- we've glimpsed, I know it's only a glimpse, but we've glimpsed through all of Scripture how salvation is indeed from start to end in every point, God's work, his gift alone. What does that mean for us? What are the applications? I'll give you three. Probably the first application of being saved by grace alone is that we will not need any other way to be saved. People keep coming along with other ideas, things you might need to do to be forgiven or to be saved, whether it's works of penance or special rituals or sacrifices or or anything else. Because we know we are saved by grace alone, we know we need none of them, not one. Second important implication of being saved by grace alone is that we are now set free to love God's with lives of holiness and righteousness. If we were saved partly by what we do, then why would we do good things? That's right, we would do good things to try to save ourselves, not because we love God or want to do good, but because we're trying to save our own skin from hell. But seeing we are saved by the grace of God alone, why do we do good? Not to save ourselves, but because we have started to deeply love this God who first loved us and gave his son for us. We want to do good works, not selfishly, but because we delight in pleasing God. Do you see, salvation by grace alone sets us free to finally want to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, with all our souls, and with all our minds. Those are important applications. But the third is the biggest of all. And it is not about what we should do, but about our hearts, about the assurance we have. For if salvation is by grace alone, then no failing of ours can ruin it. Our past sins, no matter how terrible they are, do not and will not disqualify us from salvation. Christ came into the world to save sinners like us. That's grace. And neither 
Neither will our failings today or tomorrow or the next day until the end of our lives somehow cut us off from God because we are still not saved by what we do or don't do. We are saved by grace alone through Jesus who died for us. Our salvation is secure. Even, even when we know full well that we don't deserve to be saved, even when we know full well that we are sinning more than ever we should, even when we come before God again and again, a wretched sinner seeking forgiveness, even then we are still saved by God's grace alone. We will never perish and no one will take us out of his hands. My dear brothers and sisters, if you today know that you have heard his word and come to him, if the Father has put you into his hands, no matter how false and full of sin we may be, then you know that you can close your eyes at night, full of peace, for your salvation rests secure on Christ's plenteous grace that covers all our sins. And finally, when the day comes when we will close our eyes in death, we can die free from all fear of judgment, confident of entering perfect rest with the Lord and rising again to the riches of the glories of his grace in the age to come, still only by the grace of Christ alone. He who, despite our sins, loved us and gave himself for us. That's amazing grace, indeed. Let's pray. Mighty God, we pray that you will hold us firm in your grace, that you would teach our hearts and minds the wonders of this salvation, that we would be set free from fear to love and serve you in response to the wonders of your mercy. Pray, Father, that you would keep us fully assured. Pray, Father, that those who do not yet know you, you would indeed draw to you, that they too would find the joy, the confidence, and the great peace that comes through your Son. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Thank you.